Hey, as you have a seat, just want to remind you again about our Pick a Parable uh, series coming up in February, and appreciate Jared and uh, him encouraging you to uh, pick the difficult ones. What we didn't tell him is we get to pick the people who talk about those. So, Jared, uh, you're going uh, to be on for the most difficult one. But just encourage you, in your bulletin today, you have, you know, if you don't have access to internet, you can take the, in, in the insert, fill that out, and, and there's a basket back in our welcome center that you can, uh, you can drop that off. Or you can go online, and on our website, you can vote early and often. And, uh, uh, but again, we, we picked 12 parables. Uh, there are more than 12 parables. We recognize this. Dick went through and looked at them and uh, tried to, uh, to tried to eliminate some of the themes that we've been talking about as we preach through the book of Philippians. So we d- didn't kind of re- reinforce the same thing, but there are 12 there. Pick four. And we're excited to, uh, to tally the results and choose the most popular four and, and share what God says through those parables. So uh, we're, we're excited about that. If you're here with us this morning, you know that we are uh, in our first month series called uh, Praying Like Jesus. And I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to uh, the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 through 11. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I don't know about you, but growing up in my home church, we, we recited the Lord's Prayer very often. It was something that we did, I think, almost every Sunday. And I can remember as a little kid, there were some Sundays that I went to my grandmother's church. And at her church, they recited the Lord's Prayer very often, but it was a little different. At my church, you know, we got to the, the line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And at my grandmother's church, when we got to that line, it was forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I can remember as a little kid, you know, saying the Lord's Prayer at my grandmother's church, waiting for that line, thinking they got the wrong prayer from God, because that's not what we say at our church. And, uh, and, and just say, they must have had it wrong, but they didn't. It was just, a, it was just another way of saying that. But, uh, but I can remember saying that prayer over and over and memorizing it. And this morning, we're going to look at this, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Some say it, it, it was the greatest prayer of the church. It's been called the Lord's Prayer for 2,000 years. And so uh, there's no sense to try to uh, call it anything else. But you know what? The best title for this prayer we might better call it the disciples' prayer because that's really what it is. It's really the disciples' prayer. And in Luke 11, 1, the disciples come to Jesus and really they ask him how to pray. You know, one day, Luke 11, 1 says, one day Jesus was praying at a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. So, so Jesus then gave them this pattern of prayer to follow. And the Lord's Prayer really is just a pattern of prayer to follow. Uh, And in this prayer, it has six petitions that we all should pursue and practice. And and really, we're going to look at these six petitions this morning, but the first three kind of focus our attention upward. It has to do with God's glory. And the last three focus on our own well-being. And this is an ideal prayer because we focus on God first and on ourselves second. We focus on God's glory first, and then our needs next. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the Lord's Prayer is not merely the pattern of prayer. It's the way Christians must pray. The Lord's Prayer is the quintessence of prayer. It's the perfect example. However, I think sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. 
And often the Lord's Prayer can just become beautiful words we repeat instead of a powerful prayer that we pray from our hearts. So this morning, my hope is as we kind of unpack what this Lord's Prayer is, it just wouldn't be words that we repeat, but it would be a prayer that we pray with all of our hearts. So this morning, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, we're going to try to answer two questions. The first question is this, who do we pray to? And then the next question is, what do we pray for? And so we're going to look at who do we pray to. And and in the very beginning there uh, of the Lord's Prayer, the first line says, Our Father. And the fact that God should be addressed as Father may not seem unusual to most of us. After all, you know, we've grown up in the church, and and, and that's a very familiar phrase to us. We've heard that time and time again through, through people praying and through reading God's Word. But this was a revolutionary idea in Jesus' day. Uh, this, this was a big idea in Jesus' day. This was something that was not normal. Matter of fact, God was only referred to as Father 14 times in the 39 books of the Old Testament. And each one of those times, God is referred to as the Father of the nation of Israel. It's not an individual kind of relationship kind of thing. If you read Genesis through Malachi, not one individual addresses God as Father. And then we get to the Gospels. And when we get to the Gospels, Jesus himself speaks and prays to God as Father 60 times. So this is kind of a whole new idea and a whole new focus and direction in prayer. And the word that Jesus uses here is the common Aramaic word Abba, which means daddy. And it's often used describing children communicating with their fathers. And we can all remember when our kids were little and they would come running to us and say, Daddy, I want to tell you something. And some of us whose kids are a little bit bigger, we probably miss those days. But it was, it was that heartfelt communication of a, of a child to their father. And that's, what Je- that's how Jesus addressed God here in this prayer. Mark Driscoll says, now the word here is Abba. It means dad. This to me is amazing. God is not impersonal. He's personal. He's not a force He has a name. He's not angry. He's loving. He's not far away. He's close. He's not negligent. He's involved in the life of his children. Jesus called him father, daddy. And the most important question we need to answer this morning is, do you know God as your father? Have you followed what scripture says and come to the point in time in your life where you recognize you were a sinner? and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and became part of his family, if you haven't done that this morning, that's the most important decision that you can make. And we'd love to talk to you about that so that you can cry out to God and call him your father, your daddy. J.I. Packer says, our understanding of God's fatherhood and our adoption of sons or daughters into God's family is of essential importance in our spiritual lives. And he states this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and the whole outlook on life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian and opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. 
So do you know God as your father? Have you put your faith and trust in him? My prayer is that you have. And, you know, and, when, we, and when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we not only declare that God is our father, but we're also declaring that you know, other Christians are our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no room in the family of God for this, this idea of the American individualism, that, you know what, I can do everything on my own. I don't need everybody, anyone. I, I'm fine by myself. But when we, when we pray, our Father is talking about, hey, we're part of a family. We're part of a family, and that's important. We need to be in this together. The fatherhood of God should, should enrich our lives by strengthening our vertical relationship with him. But it also should enhance the brotherhood of believers, improving our horizontal relationship with one another. And so we, when, we, when we start and, and, and really start with this prayer and recognize God is our Father, we're recognizing He's our Father. And for those who put their faith and trust in Him, they're all our brothers and sisters. We're all in the same family. We're all on the same team. And that should give us some encouragement as we go through this world together. So it's important to realize that as we pray our Father, it stresses that prayer is an intimate conversation of God's children with our dad. That's really what it is. It's that intimate conversation of God's children with our dad. So we pray our Father, but we also pray our Father in heaven. And the Jewish theology of the time stressed the superiority and the sovereignty of God, that God was superior, that he was sovereign, that he should be respected and reverenced, and, and that's important. And a problem today is, you know what, sometimes we emotionalize God's fatherhood. He's like this celestial loving dad in heaven that just loves us and, and, and will just do everything we want him to do for us. And we have little concept of his holiness, we just think he's this loving dad that when we mess up, you know, he'll forgive us, but we, we don't really have to change our lives. But when we say our father in heaven, we're recognizing he is holy. Father stresses God's personal nature. He's involved in our lives. We can approach him as our dad. In heaven stresses God's preeminent nature. He's superior to everything and sovereign in all things. So when we pray our Father in heaven, we're stressing the sovereign and superior nature of God. He is the king of all things. He is holy. He is not just loving, he is holy. And he wants us to live holy lives. So when we call our God Father in heaven, we do it with a sense of deep love and a deep sense of respect and reverence for his holiness. And so that's how we start our, our prayer off. That's who we pray to. We're praying to God, our Father, who is holy. And now he tells us what to pray for. And, and, and like I said, he gives us six individual petitions. The first three are for God's glory. It talks about your kingdom, your name, and your will. And the next three are for our well-being, talking about give us and forgive us and lead us not and deliver us. And the God-given order of prayer is to, God, is to regard God first. And so we'll start with the first three focusing on God. Now, to insist that all prayers must follow the pattern of the Lord's Prayer is, to, is really to deny uh, what, the, what the word Father really means, isn't it? 
We can go to him at any time, whatever is burdened and, and heavy on our hearts, and just cry out to him. And, and, and we don't really necessarily need to follow this pattern every time because he's our father. He loves us. He wants us to communicate to him what's on our hearts. But this is a good pattern for us to kind of think about and follow when we go to him in prayer. And the petition number one is this. Petition number one says, hallowed be your name. Now, if you think about it, you know, we all have names. And sometimes our names have significance. Sometimes they don't. But today, names are simply kind of convenient tags or labels to identify people. Uh, Sometimes we're more concerned about how they sound or if they're unique and different than really what they mean. Uh, I don't know about you, but when you named your kids, did you really think a whole lot about what those names meant? If we're really honest... Uh, when we're thinking about naming our kids, I didn't really think a whole lot about what they meant. Uh, we're just trying to think of how did it sound and, 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 and you know, how, how would you think this would work, even maybe with our last name? But to the Jews, the name wasn't just a convenient label. It wasn't just a convenient label that you gave to someone, uh, but they were considered and chosen to indicate character. So when you gave someone a name, it had a meaning. It was to indicate their character and, and the character that you hope maybe they displayed. And when we look at the, God, the name of God throughout Scripture, God's given many different names. God's referred to, uh, you know, as Yahweh, the self-existent one, all the way to Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And the psalmist said in Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of or character of the Lord our God. So when, when they came up with names, it was focused on character. And so when we cry, when we pray to God, hallowed be your name, we're focusing on his character. And the word hallowed means to be set apart or treat as holy. It means respect or reverence. And so God's character, he is holy. He is perfect. He is, he is just. He is righteous. His, his name has meaning. And so when we say, hallowed be your name, it's a prayer praising God's perfection. And when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying, may you, God, be given the unique reverence that your character and nature as father demands and deserves. So when we pray that, we're saying, hey, would you, would you God, would you get the, the proper reverence and respect that your character deserves? Hallowed be your name. You are perfect, You are holy. You deserve our our worship. You deserve to be reverenced. Martin Luther asked, how is it that God's name is hallowed among us? And then he answered, "When when our life and our doctrine or our beliefs are truly Christian. We cannot pray, hallowed be your name, without being dedicated to pursuing holiness in our lives to honor him. That's really what it means. You know, we are, we are recognizing his holiness, and we're really dedicating ourselves to follow after his pattern, to choose to be holy because he is holy. And so it says, hallowed be your name. We're choosing to, uh, to pursue and honor him with our lives by, as we pursue holiness. And so, so hallowed be your name focuses on God's holiness. It, it focuses on who he is. Petition number two says, your kingdom come. And here the word kingdom means dominion or sovereignty. 
And we know, we know that right now, God is ruling the universe. And praying your kingdom come does not suggest that at one point in time, God was never in control. Because we know from eternity past, God has, sitting on, has sat on the throne of the universe. He is in total control. And so that, it's, not, it's not saying that God has never been in control. But when we pray your kingdom come, we are praying for the future. And though God is king, though he is on the throne, we are praying for his future reign. When the world, uh, when Christ returns at the second, in his second coming and he judges the world and he sets up his eternal kingdom. And so when we pray your kingdom come, we are praying for Christ to return once again and establish his rule here on earth. It's something that we are look forward to. We're supposed to persistently pray that his kingdom comes and eagerly awaits it. You know, the, next, uh, the, the very next to the last verse in the Bible, in Revelation twenty two twenty, Jesus says this. He says, yes, I am coming soon. And John answers, amen, come Lord Jesus. What an amazing reality and an awesome prayer. And the question is, do we pray that? I mean, we know that Christ is going to return and, and set up his kingdom here on earth where there'll be no more sin, where everything will be perfect, but do we pray for that to come? Do we eagerly await that to come? Are we so busy on our everyday lives that we don't even think about that? So it's a prayer for the future, but it's also a prayer for the present. When Jesus came to earth, he brought the kingdom of God in his person. When he began his public ministry, some of the first words out of his mouth found in Matthew 4, 17 which says, from, the time on, from, the, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And he says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Later talking of, of himself in Luke 17, 20, 21, it says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus' passion was for the kingdom. It was the major theme of his preaching. And the word kingdom appeared 103 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Jesus was, was communicating that he had come to bring the kingdom. And everywhere he went, Jesus preached the message of salvation as the entrance to the kingdom. He preached the message of salvation. He encouraged others to trust Christ so they could enter into the kingdom of God, the family of God. To pray your kingdom come will produce a life that is different from the world, but it'll make a difference in this world because we're focused on seeing people come from death in their sins to life in Jesus Christ so that they could be part of his kingdom. And so when we pray your kingdom come, it's a prayer for God's kingdom to come when someone accepts Jesus as their savior. He rules and reigns in their hearts and lives. And, and this happens presently. And we rejoice this week because it happened in our midst. But when we pray your kingdom come, it's also praying for the future that God's kingdom will finally come at the second coming of Christ. And he'll establish his divine earthly kingdom forever. That's what it means to pray your kingdom come. And so we're not supposed to just keep our eyes focused on the future and just hope 
for Christ to return, but, you know, we have a job to do right now, and that's to see his kingdom grow and to share the message of salvation with those we come in contact with. That's petition number two. Petition number three says this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the Lord's Prayer is one of the most abused portions of Scripture. Sometimes it's prayed time and time again in mindless repetition. And oftentimes it's prayed by people who never have any intention of doing God's will. I can remember in high school, um, I played on the basketball team, played with a, with a group of colorful characters, to say the least. And the locker room talk was always very colorful and interesting. And, uh, and, and I remember before games, uh, uh, some of that talk and what it, what it revolved around and partying and doing all these kind of things and, and being rebellious and all those kind of things. And, and the coach would come in and he'd kind of give us our instructions. And then the last thing we would do before we went on the court is we'd say the Lord's Prayer. And I'm sitting there thinking, isn't this an interesting dichotomy? I have friends who I know don't know Jesus and don't want to follow him, talk about their lives totally opposed to him, and then all of a sudden we pause, we say the Lord's Prayer, and they have no desire to follow God's will. It's almost like we pray it like a good luck charm, like, God, would you bless our team and help us to win? Because God's pretty concerned about that, I'm sure, uh, if we're going to win the basketball game later on that night. But, but you know what? Sometimes we just mindlessly re- repeat this or we pray with no intention of following after God's will. And submitting our will to God's is one of our greatest needs. And it's also one of our greatest challenges. Because I don't know about you, but uh, I like it when I'm in control. And I like it when I have it my way. And my way's always Right? And so it's hard to submit ourselves to God's will. But you know what? Jesus is the ultimate example of submission to God's will. Because in John 6, 38, he says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do of the will of him who sent me. And Jesus tells us here in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 that proper prayer should contain a part in which we bow before God and ask for his will to be done in our lives in all situations at all times. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes, that's not me. <laughs> oftentimes, my prayers sound like my will be done at all times in all situations because that's the way that I want it. And what really Jesus is asking us to pray for here is he's asking us to pray for obedience. This is a prayer for our obedience to God's plans and commands revealed in his word. When we pray, your will be done, we're, we're praying that we would obey God's word, that we would obey his direction. It can, it, it can be said that we have not truly learned how to pray until every prayer request is made according to God's will. Mark Driscoll said it this way, prayer is not about making God do something. Prayer is about you and I aligning our will with God's, aligning our lives with God's, and trusting him enough to say, your will be done. I don't know about you, but that's a challenging statement, isn't it? And I know that we're going to face difficult times. I know that we're going to lose our jobs, some of us, and we're going to lose relationships, and maybe we'll lose our health. And I know in the midst of those difficult circumstances, it's, it's natural for us to cry out to God, hey, God, please fix this. Please deliver me from this. But at the end of that prayer, you know what we need to add? 
but your will be done. Your will be done. Because that might be the the desire of our heart for him to come and fix it, but you know what? His desire might be different. And we pray your will be done because we know that he has what's our best interest in mind. We know that he wants what's best for us to say, uh, for for us uh, in our lives. When we say your will be done at the end of our prayer, it's saying I trust you and I accept whatever your will is for my life because you're God and I'm not. And so it's, it's a prayer of obedience and it's a prayer for our obedience to be like those obeying in heaven. When he says, you know, for your, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not only is God's will to be followed by us, but, we're to, to, but we are to do it just like the believers are doing it in heaven right now. And you know what? They are joyfully following God's will with no reservation. They are joyfully following God's will with no reservation. And that's what he wants us as his followers to do here. It's possible to say your will to be done with a tone of uh, a bitter resentment or, or an anger tone followed by that. It's easy to say, you know, get mad or frustrated because we don't get our own way. But that's not what God wants. That's not what he wants. The saints in heaven and the angels find their greatest joy in doing God's will. And God wants us to joyfully follow his will since it's for our good because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. And you see, joyfully following God's will, joy is not based on our circumstances or situations. Joy is based on the fact that, you know what, hey, God knows what's best. He loves us. And so I'm going to follow him. I'm going to respond to him. I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to be angry, but I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe he loves me and he has what's my best interest in mind. To truly pray your will be done is to commit ourselves to knowing God's will as it's revealed into his, in his word and joyfully choosing to obey it, living it out in our lives. So the first three petitions here are concerned with the glory of God. And they're, they're distinguished by the word your. The second three petitions concern our well-being and are distinguished by the word us. Again, ideal prayer focuses on God's glory first and then on our circumstances, our situations next. And petition number four goes on and says, give us today our daily bread. Now here, bread just doesn't represent only food, but it represents all of our physical needs. So it's not just food, but it's all of our physical needs, all the things that we need to live So praying, give us today our daily bread is praying for God to meet all of our physical needs. And and the first thing that God tells us is to pray for ourselves is for physical provision. And as we think about this, you know, this requires some, some, some understanding of what he's actually asking us to pray for. First, this is a prayer of provision from God. We're called to pray for bread, the necessities of life, whether big or small, uh, the things that are essential to life and health. And, and well-being for our families. So when we pray, give us today our daily bread, you know, that's not us kind of going to our favorite, the catalog of our favorite retailer or the website of our favorite retailer and looking at all the things that we want and saying, Lord, give us today our daily bread. You know I need all of those things. So Lord, just provide them. That, that's not what he's asking us to, to pray for. He's asking us to pray that he would provide our daily needs. He says, hey, you know what? You're to, you're to pray for bread, 
not dessert. Uh, you're, you're, you're to pray for your needs, not the, not the things that you want or the things that aren't necessary. So pray that God would provide your needs. And so it's a prayer of provision from God. The second thing, it's a prayer of dependence. We're called to pray for daily bread, developing a dependence on God and not ourselves or others to meet our needs. I don't know about you, but when it comes time to pray at mealtime, it can get into a kind of a rut. And it could just be kind of words that we just say. And I was thinking about this week, but you know what? Really, as we pause and pray for our meals, it ought to be prayer of dependence, thanking God for providing for us and depending on him to continue to do that, that he will continue to meet our needs. No matter our economic situation, God wants us to depend on him daily for our needs and to thank him daily for meeting our needs. And so it's a prayer of provision. It's a prayer of dependence, of depending on God to meet our needs on a daily basis. And the final thing that I think it is, it's a prayer of service to others. It's a prayer of service to others. We're called to pray, give us, asking God to meet our daily needs so we can in turn help our brothers and sisters who might have a need. You know, as we pray this prayer, I think we're making a commitment to be part of God's answer in helping others in need of bread. When we pray that, I think we're asking God to help us be the answer to someone else's prayer of dependence and helping them get the bread that they need for their family. If God has provided us more than we need, he has given us an opportunity to help those in need. You know what? The thing that I so appreciate about Mount Calvary Church is because in my almost 10 years here, I've seen this practice time and time and time again. How many of you have stopped, stepped up and, and provided the needs of other people? And really, you, you, were, you were God's answer to their prayer. You know, give us today our daily bread. And it's a great opportunity to be part of that prayer, an answer to that prayer, when we, when we have the opportunity to do that. He goes on, and, 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 uh, and petition number five says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. You know, and seriously praying this prayer can heal fra our fractured spiritual condition, and it can restore any broken human relationship. Jesus teaches us here that proper prayer contains requests for personal forgiveness and for a forgiving spirit. The fundamental reason for praying this prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, is because we need forgiveness. We are sinners. We are sinners. Debt is a term for sin, and it refers to our moral and spiritual debt to God that must be paid. Sin separates man from God, and it's our greatest enemy and problem. And because man's greatest problem is sin, his greatest need is forgiveness. And believers have experienced once and for all the judicial forgiveness of God, which we receive at the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. So when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are forgiven once and for all. It's judicial forgiveness. We're no longer condemned. We're no longer under judgment. We're no longer destined to hell. But because we choose to sin, we frequently require God's gracious forgiveness, not as our judge, but as our Father. He needs to forgive us. And the pos positional forgiveness of sin that happens at salvation doesn't need to be repeated, but the practical forgiveness of sin is needed every day because we fall short of God's standard of holiness. If we've trusted Christ as our Savior, 
We know that our sins have been paid for once and for all by the blood of Christ. But this prayer teaches us to engage daily in the ongoing confession of sin because this is a sign of our spiritual maturity and health. We know that as Christians, we are forgiven once and for all for our sin, but we also know we struggle with sin. And on a daily basis, we fall. And so, so this prayer is, talking, is, is about us just going to God on a daily basis and confessing those areas where we messed up. And, and making sure our relationship with him is right, that there is no sin that's separating our relationship with him. And another important reason to pray this prayer is because we need to extend forgiveness to others when they sin against us. In verses 14 and 15 here in Matthew 6, it's, Jesus is pretty clear. He says, if we forgive others, God will forgive us. If we don't, God won't. Kent Hughes states it this way. That if we will not forgive, we are not Christians. This is a frightening statement, but it's true. For when God's grace comes into our hearts, it makes us forgiving. We demonstrate whether we have been forgiven by whether or not we will forgive. So if I refuse to forgive, there is only one reason. I am outside of, the, of grace, and I myself am unforgiven. You know what? Forgiveness is never easy. It's never easy. Uh, and, and this is not talking about people who are struggling to forgive. Because I think forgiveness is a process. And some of us have been wronged, maybe even recently, and the emotion is still raw. And we're still trying to work through that to get to the point where we can extend that forgiveness. But I think what, what Jesus says in verses 14 and 15 is, you know what? If we choose not to forgive, then we have not truly been forgiven. And I can remember sitting in a, in a counseling situation once with a group of people, and this Christian counselor was talking about the wrong that had happened. And they stated to, to the, the people who were been wrong, they said, you know what, you don't have to choose to forgive. And I, and I sat there not being the counselor expert, and I said, I don't agree with you there. I think that's wrong. As believers, we need to choose to forgive. It may not be easy. It may not happen overnight. But you know what? God has forgiven us, so we need to choose to extend his forgiveness to others. It may be a process, but we need to work down that road. We cannot say, you know what? I am not going to forgive because that's not Christian. That, that, that's not what God desires us to do. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So you know what? Extending forgiveness to others is also a sign of spiritual health and maturity. And the reality is this. You know what? Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. It may not happen immediately. It may be a process we need to work through, but it's a choice we will always choose to make. There's, there's a popular saying that says, to err is human, and that's so true. But you know what? The last part of that phrase is, to forgive is divine. To forgive is divine. We are never closer to God or more like God than when we forgive. So when we say forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, it's talking about, hey, you know what? We need to make sure we're right with God and confessing our sins on a daily basis, and we need to make sure that we're extending his forgiveness to other people. The final petition is this, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we look at this last petition, it's important for us to recognize two things. First of all, none of us are above falling. None of us are above falling. Each and every one of us could walk out this door and in the next hour choose to give in to some temptation and fall. Each and every one of us. 
The second thing we need to realize is, is this, is that, you know what? We need, we need to pray for spiritual protection. We need to pray for spiritual protection. We're not above falling, so we need to pray for spiritual protection. Lead us not in temptation is praying for God to give us the strength not to give in to temptation and choose to sin. You know what? Temptation, uh, Jesus experienced it. We think about his ministry here on earth. His ministry began with his epic temptations in the wilderness. And three years later in the Garden of Gethsemane, he triumphed over the temptation um, to, uh, to flee from the cross. He didn't give in to that impulse. You know, temptation has, a, has an opportunity to kind of develop our, our moral character and our spiritual strength if we choose not to give in to it. And so we need, to, we need to pray that God would give us the strength not to choose to give in to temptation. Because oftentimes we are the one, you know, we, God doesn't lead us into temptation. We choose to go into temptation. It's our choice. It's our choice. He's given us the strength to withstand it. It's just up to us. Do we follow his strength or would you choose to, to, to give into it? So we need to pray, lead us not in temptation, but we also need to pray, deliver us from the evil one. And this is praying for spiritual protection from Satan's power. The evil one is real and he's powerful. He's real and he's powerful. Scripture calls this malicious being Satan or the devil. Satan is the, our ad, meaning adversary, devil meaning slanderer. And the Bible tells us that he has amazing power and commands a host of demonic agents bet on deception and destruction. He is real. He is powerful. But the good news is when we pray, deliver us from the evil one, we are acknowledging our, we are acknowledging our foe's amazing power. But you know what? We're admitting that God's power is more abundant, more awesome than Satan's ever could be. So when we say, deliver us from the evil one, we're saying, God, you are greater than he is. You have more power than he does. So help us not to give in to him. Help us conquer him. So proper prayer recognizes God is more powerful than Satan, that he protects us from him, and that he can provide us strength to resist temptation. Those are the six petitions here in our Lord's Prayer. And I know that we went through these very fast, and the good news is, in the next few weeks in Sunday school, you will walk through this step by step. But we just wanted to kind of give us an overview of what really the Lord's Prayer is about. And again, you know, the first three praise God's holiness. It praises his sovereign dominion. It praises his perfect will. And the next three are our prayers for our physical provision, for our relational health, and for our spiritual strength. And I guess the only way really to, 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 to end this sermon is simply by this. Let's pray this prayer together. On the screen will, will, will be the prayer. Let's pray this prayer together out loud, all right? This is then how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, thank you for this pattern of prayer. Thank you that in it we find strength and hope and uh, and encouragement. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we've just spent a brief time walking through it and as we walk through it in the next few weeks in Sunday school, that this will just not be words that we mindlessly repeat. But this will be a prayer that we pray from our hearts. 
Lord, that we truly would worship you and, and, and honor you and reverence you on a, daily brace, on a daily basis, that we would truly pray for your will to be done in our lives, that we would pray to, to have our, 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 our lives cleansed through forgiveness, and we pray to extend to forgiveness to others. Lord, that we pray that realizing we have a real enemy that we need protection from, and that you would strengthen us and help us to not give in to that. Lord, I pray that this just wouldn't be words that we just say. But I pray that this would be a prayer from our heart. God, you are so good. You are so holy. You are so loving. You call us Father. We are your children. Help us to represent you well as we seek to extend your, your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close today and as you're dismissed, I don't know about you, but uh, we've been talking about prayer and I've been really challenged. My, oftentimes my prayer life is pretty, pretty sad. And my hope this morning is that uh, walking through this prayer would just give us uh, a little pattern that we could maybe follow this week. Uh, that, that we could set aside some time this week and just really focus on as kids crying out to our dad and just asking him uh, to guide and direct us. Again, like Mark Driscoll said, prayer is not about making God do something. Prayer is about you and I aligning our will with God's, aligning our lives with God's and trusting him enough to say your will be done. This week, my hope and prayer is that we just spend some time recognizing that we don't know it all, we don't have all the answers, that God is in control. And as his children, we want to honor him with our lives. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.